0: The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio 680, WPTF, and 98.5 FM. This is the Turning Your Life Around podcast, presented by 180 Counseling, hosted by founder Sarah Coates, a licensed clinical mental health counselor. In this podcast, Sarah and her team of therapists will dive deep into many topics on mental health care. Here's your host, Sarah Coates.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Turning Your Life Around podcast. Welcome back, and I am joined by my friend and colleague, Kiana.
0: Hello, everyone. Hello. How are you? Wonderful. Excited to be here.
1: So glad that you are joining us today to talk about your specialty and focus, which Mm -hmm. is borderline personality disorder, Mm -hmm. loving someone with borderline personality disorder. Before Mm -hmm. we jump into that, can you share a little bit with the audience about how you got into the field of mental health counseling?
0: Yeah, so that's a funny story. I actually, growing up... Wanted to be a writer. So that was my dream and goal. And I went to college and majored in English. And so what happened was I ended up taking some sociology classes and I ended up minoring in um, gender and sexuality studies. And I think I was frustrated with all these great ideas we were talking about in school without any way to put those into practice to actually help people. And then I also like. As a part of being a gender studies minor, I got involved. We had a um, a rape crisis center on our campus where we did peer counseling. So the director of the counseling center would train us on like some basic techniques, you know, when to get more help for someone. And I actually did some, my first counseling when I was an undergrad. And I really kind of fell into it. The director of the counseling center at my campus really thought that I would be good at counseling. So... I really kind of fell into it and then I decided that I wanted to put art with therapy mm. so when I went to graduate school I did an internship at the Art Therapy Institute of North Carolina which is still existing today it's in Carborough. it's a really great organization and that kind of is what led me into the field yeah. so in a roundabout way.
1: Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm excited for us to talk about this because, but I Mm -hmm. feel like there are a lot more individuals that we interact with and even family members who might have a personality disorder Mm -hmm. and it's not been diagnosed or Mm -hmm. unsure of how to treat it. But the key is loving someone with borderline personality disorder. And I know Mm -hmm. the focus of the talk today and in this podcast is focusing on relationships with someone struggling Mm -hmm. to help us become better sons, daughters, mothers, partners in a relationship to our loved one with borderline Mm -hmm. personality disorder. So how -hmm. about we just start off, what is that? Can you explain what this diagnosis is for the audience?
0: So the first piece of this is the difference between a personality disorder and disorders that are more episodic, like a mood disorder, like bipolar or major depression. So I like to think of episodic disorders as weather, it comes and goes. So somebody who has major depression could have a depressive episode that lasts for months or lasts for a year, and then that that weather pattern goes away for a little bit. They're good for maybe a year, and then they have another episode. Mm-hmm. So a personality disorder is the pair of glasses that you're wearing to look at the world. It's pervasive in that it affects you in all the different areas of your life, your social life, your work life, academics, family life, um, love life. It just affects you on much different levels. And actually, the origin of the word borderline was kind of like a term they were, it means like the borderline between mania, which is when we have really high moods. And losing touch with reality or disassociating, so it's kind of like the borderline there. So borderline personality disorder is, I would say, it's like a, I would say like a cluster of symptoms that is just really pervasive. And I think part of the reason too that we find that there are a lot of people that are undiagnosed that we encounter is a lot of times in working with clients, we might find out that somebody that they're in relationship to exhibit some of these characteristics. And then it kind of makes sense that there's a shared dynamic, which we're gonna talk about a little bit today too, in that a lot of times there's a really negative stigma for for clients with borderline personality disorder and i think that stigma is due to like a lack of awareness mm-hmm. so like a lot of people in the general public think of people struggling with borderline as their kind of lost causes mm-hmm. that they're chaotic I say, crazy yeah I hear that
1: they're just crazy yeah
0: yeah, yeah. When the truth is, a lot of people with borderline personality disorder are very high functioning, mm-hmm. which is why a lot of people don't know. I, I describe it to patients as it's a little bit like living in hell. It's, it's like being on fire. So the external perception is that this person, oh, they have it all together. But internally, they're constantly questioning every interaction that they have. And they're constantly struggling with a lot of mood lability, which just means that their, their mood is, is very up and down. So it's a really, it's a very, very difficult disorder to live with. And the reason I wanted to to focus on relationships is because when I was sitting down thinking about, okay, how do we define borderline and how can we make this something that's going to be effective for people? I think that I hear from a lot of clients, well, I really wish you could talk to my so-and-so or I wish they could understand. And a lot of times patterns of behaviors that loved ones fall into with the person in their life that has borderline, are not helpful for them. Mm-hmm. The things that we think you should do a lot of times don't work well, and that can lead to triggers. It can lead to episodes, and it can lead to disharmony mm-hmm. in relationships. So I kind of wanted to talk about just some concrete strategies of what people can use to um, to support to support their loved one.
1: Right. Right. Which I think is a great discussion. So before we get to that, can you mm-hmm. can you share with the audience? Some maybe four or five, maybe six criteria of mm-hmm. an individual that might have borderline so they might be able to easier more easily recognize right right what this is
0: right and so this is pretty important too cuz there are a lot of people that might have one or two or some of the elements of this disorder but it's really important that you know we can't diagnose our loved ones mm-hmm. you know even us as practitioners we can't diagnose our loved ones mm-hmm. So it's something that if we feel like somebody has some of the characteristics that we want them to explore with a professional versus kind of labeling, because having symptoms does not mean that you have a disorder. Correct. One of the biggest ones is a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships. So what this means is people with borderline a lot of times grew up in environments that were emotionally invalidating and not as supportive and receptive as what they needed. So that causes them to constantly feel like the people that they love are going to leave them. So there's a title of a book that's about borderline. And I say this a lot of times to patients and a lot of times my patients that are struggling with borderline will say, oh, this is exactly how I feel. And the title is, I hate you, don't leave me. And a lot of times this is what a relationship with somebody who's struggling with borderline feels like, that there's a a pulling closer, but then also a pushing away. But we have to understand that the reason that borderline individuals are pushing you away is because they're afraid that you're going to leave them anyway. So they want to, you know, have the one up on that first So we'll find that in relationships, borderline individuals might cut people off very quickly. They might cut family members off for years at a time. And they go from extremes in how they see individuals. So one minute, you might be the best person in the world to them. And then the next minute, you might be the devil. I think that a lot of people are aware that one of the key criteria is recurrent suicidal thoughts. It might be gestures. It might be threats. Well, if you leave me, I'm going to kill myself or you're the only reason I have to live. And it's pretty frequent that a lot of clients with borderline have suicidal thoughts more than the average person. Like a lot of them will say it occurs about every day, every other day. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that person needs to be hospitalized right at that moment. It doesn't necessarily mean they're gonna act on those thoughts, but a lot of times they're pretty persistently there. And we have to remember they're there because they feel like they're living in hell. Mm. So I think that understanding really breeds connection and compassion. So I think that's kind of like if we forget everything else in the talk today, I think that's the most important thing is if we can understand more of where that individual is coming from, the, the emotions and the motivations underneath their behaviors, it makes it easier to sustain healthy relationships with them.
1: In my limited knowledge of borderline personality disorder, mm-hmm. another criteria for an actual diagnosis is this frantic effort to avoid mm. real or imagined abandonment you know mm-hmm. abandonment is a key concept for an individual with borderline yeah uh, whether it's real or perceived abandonment right uh, right so that's a criteria absolutely what are some other criteria that we can highlight?
0: Another one I think is really important. You know how we have, it's funny how in society and culture, we have we have images of disorders that are not accurate. So people call each other bipolar mm-hmm. if their mood swings during the day, right. which is not yeah, exactly so what, what that is, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of times clients with borderline, their moods swing. Um, it's pretty rapid cycling. Mm-hmm. They can be one way in the morning and, it could be 10 minutes later. Mm-hmm. It could be by lunch. They're in a different place. So it's kind of like being on a roller coaster mood wise. And we have to remember that within themselves, living with that is a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm from the outside, it's difficult to deal with those mood changes, but just being cognizant that it's a lot for them internally. Another one, a lot of times there's a lot of anger. There are some co occurrences with BPD, like I found a statistic from an article, a recent article, and says research suggests that people with this diagnosis are nearly 14 times more likely to report childhood adversary than the average person. And this is especially true when we're talking about things like emotional abuse and neglect. There's a good number of clients that have borderline that also have ptsd mm. and so a, a criteria of ptsd a lot of times is anger so sometimes um there can be lashing out and that lashing out can be connected to i feel like you're going to leave me mm. or this is reminding me of something that happened in the past that was hurtful
1: the fear of abandonment the fear it of abandonment absolutely
0: mm-hmm. and then i think the most important one is the um the black or white thinking we call it all or nothing thinking So this is when we cannot see shades of gray. So this is when we feel like, okay, if I'm right, then the other person has to be wrong. If this answer is right, the other answer has to be wrong. And I define that thinking as it's almost like thinking through a straw where it's very narrow. It's not very cognitively flexible, I think this can make it hard for loved ones to express how they feel because a common behavioral pattern might be a loved one saying, well, this is how it makes me feel when you engage in these behaviors that are unhealthy for me, right? Or that are toxic to our relationship. The person with borderline might hear, oh, you don't love me. Oh, you're going to leave me, right? So that's another big one. Like when we talk about the pair of glasses Mm -hmm. that affects them at work. If they hear one negative thing from a coworker, it's everybody hates me that one is, is very pervasive.
1: Excellent, so that I think that's helpful in just the audience understanding these are some of the criteria mm-hmm. that helps inform a diagnosis of borderline personality. Right. However, we do want to emphasize that maybe experiencing one of these criteria does mm-hmm. not mean you actually have the diagnosis true, true, true. and it's important to work with a professional who's true, trained true, in true. this area. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the skills for supporting your loved one right. and yourself.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, very, very important. I think that really where I want to start in talking about this is actually in grieving. A lot of times when I uh, think about loss, I kind of conceptualize it in terms of grieving, the process of grieving and the stages of grief. And a lot of the points that I got for this talk today, I got from the book Stop Walking on Eggshells by... Mason and Crager, I think. And I have some other resources, which I'm sure we can put in the podcast notes of other books that can be helpful in supporting yourself and supporting your loved one but in that book it talks about stages of acceptance with recognizing accepting and allowing that your loved one is struggling with this and so a lot of times i'm even very cautious when i'm talking with patients about their diagnosis when it is this because i don't want them to feel that the diagnosis is a death sentence mm or a heavy weight, but it's important to know, hey, this is what it is, and it's not me. I'm not crazy, I'm not making all this stuff up. And it can give you a language and a framework to think about, okay, how do I move forward? How do I help myself? But so a loved one is going through the process of grieving the relationship that they've always wanted with that person. If you have a mother that is struggling with borderline, it may be that you've always imagined a certain relationship. Mother daughter dynamic. It might be that you've grown up envying other mother daughter dynamics. If you have a spouse, it might be that when you initially married them, there was hope that this person was going to change. And change is very, very, very possible and happens frequently with borderline, but it does tend to happen slower. It, it does tend to happen slower. And so the first thing we have to do is accept grief for the relationship that that it isn't so that we can accept, okay, this is what it is. Because mm-hmm. once we're in the place of acceptance, okay, this is what it is, then we can move forward to what do I do? Because if we're stuck in the anger stage of grief, then we can be kind of stubborn. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I, my dad shouldn't be this way or no. I don't want my husband to be this way. I'm not going to accept this. And once we get out of that space of the shoulds, then we can get into the reality of, okay, this is what it is. And I I think that that's a, a good place to start. And I want to emphasize that is personal internal work of the non-sufferer. The way I think about emotional pain and emotional trauma that may have been inflicted unintentionally by somebody who was struggling. You know, if we think of somebody as with borderline personality disorder, they're on fire, unintentionally their fire might touch you Mm. as they're in relationship to you, right? You're responsible for that fire. Even if they came to you years later and said, you know, I've been in treatment and I've learned that these are toxic behaviors and this is unhealthy. And I'm sorry that I, you know, did this to you. The fire is still your responsibility. So I always say we're not responsible for what happens to us, but we are responsible for for how we move forward. So I, I think that that's a, a a big piece to start with. What about boundaries? I know that yeah, boundaries are important. so important when you're loving someone or supporting mm-hmm. someone with borderline. Can we talk a minute about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Boundaries. I think of boundaries as we can have super firm, rigid boundaries like walls. We can have flexible boundaries and then we can have what I call Gumby boundaries. I don't know if people remember Gumby. (laughs) I used to watch that show all the time. I know exactly. You know, like the the Gumby, he's almost like a gummy bear. He was green. I have no idea what he was doing on the show, but I just remember (laughs) watching that. So he was very bendable. He was very flexible. And a lot of times As we grow in relationships with someone struggling, we can grow to fit into and support that unhealthy dynamic. Mm, Like enabling? Like enabling. Mm -hmm. And doing things or not doing things out of fog, so fear, obligation, or guilt. So this might be a common thing that happens with someone struggling with borderline is the feeling that someone is going to leave them, right? So let's say we have a spouse that, Whenever they go out in public, the spouse that's struggling doesn't want them to speak to anybody of the opposite gender, is very concerned, you know, you're looking at them, they're looking at you, right? So it's a fine line of we want to validate that 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 is real for them. We want to validate what they're feeling. But if we make unrealistic allowances, if we say, you know, okay, then I'm just going to go into the store with sunglasses on or something like that, then we're really not helping them. We're, then then we're doing what I call fragilizing, mm. which is, oh, you know, you have this. And, you know, we have to treat so-and-so gingerly. And, you know, we can't do certain things. Um, and that pushes people away from their power versus saying, you know, validating what they're feeling and then saying, you know, I believe in you. I know this is tough, but I believe in you. This is a, a key factor in, in setting boundaries, I think, is... When we do that, how we communicate that with our loved one. Because that's, I would say, is one of the main triggers for abandonment and in an individual struggling is when their loved one starts kind of getting real with them about their feelings. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times we might have the Gumby boundaries where, where we're fragilizing, where we're not saying, oh, you know, mom or dad, I really can't listen to eight hours of you on the phone talking about this today. Or, you know, a lot of times we're, we're not setting boundaries, So I think when we do, we can start with validating what your loved one is feeling, regardless of what they're doing or saying. So you can always validate what somebody feels, regardless of whether or not what you think they did because they felt that way was right. So a good example of this, let's say I get into a car accident, I get out of my car, I'm angry, punch the other driver. Is it right to punch the other driver? No. Does it make sense that I was angry? Sure. That feeling is still valid. So when we're setting boundaries with our loved one, we want to explain. We don't want to just drop, well, you do this and I can't. Mm -mm." Right. Right. We want to explain, this is how this makes me feel. I want to validate what you're feeling right now. And then being clear about what your needs are. So a lot of different ways to to communicate our boundaries in a healthy way. It could be how can we work on this together using we language. If we use I and you language, that's a lot of times very threatening and really in any interaction. Yeah. Well, you did this. You know, if we say, OK, this is an issue. How can we work on this together? Validating with love. You know, I I really love you, but... This is what I need from you, or I think this will make our relationship stronger. And another really good one that I'll use, and there's a a quote from Stop Walking on Eggshells that says, determine your reality and stick with it. So a lot of times the perception, like the pair of glasses that our loved one is wearing, like we talked about, is very foggy or dirty. It's got a lot of stuff on it. We can validate what they're feeling without validating that world. We can say, man, you know, I understand that. Feeling that way sucks without saying, oh yeah, you're right. I think so-and-so co is against you. <laughs> you know, we, we can validate the feeling. Um, and a good way that I'll communicate this is I understand how you feel and why you feel that way, but I feel differently. That's not how I feel, right? So you're still showing understanding, but setting that limit. And then I think that the important thing about boundaries is boundaries are not a one and done. It's an ongoing thing, So when you set a boundary, and a boundary is just saying no, drawing a line in the sand, I'm not okay with this. We can have boundaries about our body, we can have boundaries about our time, we can have boundaries about our emotional energy, about our spiritual beliefs. Another common thing that happens is individuals with borderline are sometimes, it doesn't make them feel good when there's disagreement. Let's say you're a partner and you're discussing views on religion, views on politics, and you feel differently. Enabling and fragilizing is, oh yeah, I totally agree with you, because that's assuming that they can't function better, that they can't learn the the skills to kind of communicate better and healthier. That's kind of like the, oh no, you know we have to treat so-and-so gingerly. But if we're really helping them grow, we're challenging them with love. So that would be, I understand how you're feeling, and this makes sense to me, but I feel a little bit differently and allowing that to be okay, this is how we set boundaries, right? That lets them know, oh, they still love me, but they disagree. So you can disagree. Right. Disagree doesn't mean you're leaving me. Right. Doesn't mean you're leaving me. And the other thing I'll say as well, like going back to the Gumby boundaries and the fact that boundaries are ongoing, if we set a boundary and we don't maintain that boundary, it means nothing. Mm. If I tell a loved one, I can't respond to every text you send. I know it's really triggering for you when I don't respond right away. But, you know, we can set up certain times during the day for sure. But I'm just letting you know that's that's not something I can do. But then you start doing that. You start responding. This is going to be boundaries. Mm -hmm. It will not work. It sends confusing messages and it's it's enabling. So those are some good examples there. I know there's we could talk about boundaries for years. It's
1: such a broad topic. It is. And
0: I I think I don't think we ever get to a point where you don't need to work on them. Mm -hmm. I work on boundaries every day, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Another thing I do want to talk about really quickly as well is identifying your role or your part. And I describe it as a dance. So it says identify your role or your part in the dance of unhealthy BPD behavior. And so I say it as a dance because relationships and communication can be very cyclical and it's typically it has a pattern. So another good example of me and my dad, I love my dad. We tend to get into the same arguments over and over. My mom as well, we get into the same arguments. And so what it is, is I play a role. That's my role in the dance. And they play a role. But they'll say something that might be a little bit triggering for me. And let's say I have a choice to respond with setting a boundary with love or to respond as a child. And to respond as a child is kind of like, no, it shouldn't be this way, right? Being stuck in the space of the shoulds. A lot of times, Borderline personality disorder, what I want to communicate is that it's not always them. They're not always wrong. Right. And I think this is a pattern that even as clinicians we fall into, and I can admit that I've fallen into this as, as well at times, of, of always kind of putting them in that box and classifying all of their behavior as a part of that box. You know, borderline is a part of who someone is, but it isn't all of who they are a lot of times we might be doing things that we think are helping. Another thing I wrote here is like a lot of times we might be reinforcing the idea that somebody has to be sick or suicidal to be told, I love you. You know, is that the only time that our loved one, especially young people or children, is that the only time that parents really sit with them face-to-face and talk to them is when there's a crisis then that reinforces okay crises let me know that I'm loved I just think that that's important that and I'm sure we can kind of segue into this as well we have to work on ourselves in relation to that person so some of the work that we do is joint work some of it is the work of the individual with borderline but then some of it is our work on ourselves
1: The individual supporting the loved one. Exactly.
0: Borderline. Exactly. And
1: that's super important because Mm -hmm. you're basically talking about three different types of therapy. Individual therapy for the individual Mm -hmm. with the diagnosis. Right. Individual therapy maybe for the loved one. Mm -hmm. And then some family work.
0: Yep. And those are three different types of therapy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times all three can really integrate together and even at different times. Like it might be healthy to work with the individual that's diagnosed first to empower them with the language and that framework to say what they need to say, Mm -hmm. right? And that can make marriage counseling and family counseling more effective. The other thing I do really want to make sure I touch on is the role of shame. Mm. That shame could probably be like a whole whole podcast, right? (laughs) Yeah. I think that shame and shaming is like the gasoline that lights the fire of a lot of unhealthy cycles for individuals struggling with um, with borderline. Um, and so another criteria that I don't think we touched on for BPD is impulsive behaviors. Mm-hmm. So we have to remember that people with BPD are on fire, right? They're trying to self-soothe. And because an individual with BPD feels emotions more intensely than the average person, their soothing tends to be a little bit more intense or a little bit more. So it's pretty common to have co-occurring uh, substance abuse, co-occurring self-harm sometimes it's impulsive spending sometimes it's hypersexuality reckless decisions putting themselves in uh, dangerous situations unsafe situations are pretty common and in the quest to help these individuals a lot of family a lot of loved ones and sometimes even us as clinicians can say or do things that create shame Mm -hmm. well why did you do that again you know, this isn't working for you. This is also a really good, just in in the field of substance abuse in general, you know, a lot of, let's say if somebody, you know, has a substance problem or a spending problem, well, you know that spending is causing all these issues. Why can't you just stop? What's wrong with you? That creates shame, Shame is a motivating factor to engage in more unhealthy behaviors. If somebody feels shame, they feel like, well, I'm not good enough. I'm never going to get better. I might as well just keep doing this bad thing. So it's, it's very, very important that um, that a we have realistic expectations for our loved ones and that those expectations fit where they are in their life what skill set they have, and that we're we're aware of, of judging. Because the other thing that judging does is it fragilizes. If we say, I just don't know how to help you, then that makes that person feel, well, geez, you know, I must really be doomed here. Mm-hmm. Versus saying, I know that this is difficult, but I have faith in you. I think that's the, the healthiest thing that we can say to our loved ones struggling with this is, I believe in you, instead of, oh, God, we got to get you somewhere. (laughs) We got to get you to talk to somebody. Saying I believe in you is helpful. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: So as we're wrapping up here, I know that you've referenced and you have a lot of uh, really favorite and great resources. Can you throw out a few um, books or something, videos that, that the audience members can look into on their own?
0: Going along with the theme of doing our own individual work. And knowing that it's not all that person. I really, really love um, the book, The Expectation Hangover by Christine Hassler. It's it's one of those books, I'm pretty sure right now it's on the, the bargain bin mm. at Barnes and Nobles. It's one of those things that nobody's heard of ever. And I read this years ago when I was dealing with a really traumatic situation. And it just really, really was life-changing language for me. And so the book is about dealing with disappointment which is one of the hardest emotions to digest and that can help us in processing that grief that we were talking about. Having more realistic expectations for ourselves and our ability to interact with our loved one because we're not always going to get it right. Sometimes we're not going to validate. Sometimes we're, we're going to shame but then going back and self-reflecting and then we always have the option to apologize We always have the option to apologize, to repair those relationships. So the expectation hangover. Another book that goes along with that is an invitation to self-care by Tracy Kleantis. Um, She's an LCSW. This is another thing. I don't know where, maybe on Amazon or something. It's the best book for self-care that I've read in terms of explaining what it is, how we can have self-care on a daily basis instead of just, I'm going to go get a massage or spend a bunch of money, right? Or go on a vacation, And then the last one in that category would be um, Forgiving What You Can't Forget by Lisa. I'm going to butcher this name. Yeah. Turkhurst. Turkhurst. yeah. I don't know if you've heard of her.
1: I have actually.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. So I haven't read this book, Forgiving What You Can't Forget. I picked up the journal and it's a forgiveness journal. And I will say that there's a Christian element Mm -hmm. in the material, but I think it is super, super, super powerful. I think forgiveness. I put here like, what are the two superpowers? If we forget, if we forget everything else in our interactions with our loved ones that are struggling, remember to forgive and be compassionate, right? right. Um, so, forgiveness helps us with our anger, and it helps us to deal with the individual that's in front of us and not the individual that has disappointed us Absolutely. before. So, so those are great ones for that. And then the other one I will mention is stop walking on eggshells is pretty much I think
1: the handbook the handbook It, it, it is, yeah. right
0: mm-hmm. I recommend this to a lot of clients that are struggling that are loving somebody that's struggling it really walks you through some strategies you can use in communicating and it helps you understand and I like the workbook too mm-hmm. I think the workbook is is really good so those are the most Your important ones favorites. I would say excellent yes
1: Well, thank you so much. This has been so educational. I hope very helpful for the audience members that are Mm -hmm. listening today. And if you have been tuning in and you, you know, some of this resonates with you and you feel like you might yourself or have a loved one who maybe meets some of these criteria, certainly reach out. We have a number of therapists, including Kiana, here Mm -hmm. at 180 Counseling, who specialize and focus in borderline personality disorder Mm -hmm. and helping loved ones support an individual with borderline. Mm -hmm. So feel free to reach out today. Check us out on 1-80counseling.com.
0: Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Turning Your Life Around podcast, presented by 180 Counseling, with five triangle locations to serve you. Learn more at 1-80counseling.com. This has been an exclusive presentation of News Radio 680 WPTF and 98.5 FM, a Curtis Media Group station.